Psychotic disorders affect around 1.5 to 3.5% of the population worldwide. They are amongst the most severe and disabling of all mental disorders. Finding ways to intervene as early as possible is one of the most effective ways to reduce the burden of psychosis. And that's where virtual reality, or VR, comes in. Imagine using VR to confront auditory hallucinations, improve cognitive function, or develop social skills. It's one approach that's being used to treat individuals with psychosis with the goal of an improved quality of life. VR is being examined by researchers and clinicians like our guest today. VR can allow patients to talk to an avatar about their hallucinations, explore locations that give them anxiety, and practice social interactions in a variety of threatening or non-threatening situations. Essentially, patients get the chance to work through their fears in a no-risk environment. And to guide us through this field and the ins and outs of VR, we're talking to Dr. Mar Rue Calafe, who is joining us from Germany. Mar is a clinical psychologist and a professor of clinical psychology and digital psychotherapy with the Faculty of Psychology of the Ruhr University. Join us as we explore the world of VR therapy for psychosis and the promise that it holds for the future. Dr. Mar Rue Calafe, we are so happy to have you here with us today. Welcome to Look Again. Thanks for having me. Mar, can you start by explaining how virtual reality is being used as a treatment for psychosis and what makes it different from traditional therapies? Basically, virtual reality offers a new opportunity to clinicians and researchers to bring the real world to the clinic by using computer graphics and sounds and sensory input. We can recreate situations that might be challenging for people who suffer from psychosis. It is not yet a standing alone treatment, so it's normally a tool that we use in the context of cognitive behavioral therapy the majority of the times, but also other approaches are using VR tech to try to improve what we call clinical outcomes or the benefits that the person can get from the therapy. It is a great tool not only to bring the real world, but also to enact or to bring experiences to life and really see how people are coping with certain distressing experiences that they might have. For people that don't know what VR is, could you walk us through what somebody would experience going through this form of treatment or this therapy? It is basically an environment that has been created using computer graphics and can be built up in combination with other sensory stimuli. But of course, the type of scenario will depend on what you are trying to target, so to say, what you are trying to improve. If it's in a scenario or environment that is designed to improve your cognitions or your beliefs or attribution to others, you might have a similar situation where you will find avatars or virtual agents, but you will ask the person to interpret what their intentions are or why they can understand from what is happening in the environment and really help them to gather enough information from the environment that helps them to understand better what is happening. Talking about the voices, the auditory hallucinations, if this is what you're targeting with VR, you can either help the person to have a conversation with a virtual agent that represents their voice and manage this 
difficult relationships that they might have with their voices. Or you can have another environment where the person is with others and at the same time hear voices and help them to refocus on the people instead of paying attention to their voices. So these are different type of situations that we can create with virtual reality, but really have a target. You really need to know what you're trying to improve or what you're trying to help the person with to design the right environment. So how long has this technology been in use? In reality, in clinical psychology, VR has been used for decades. It started as a treatment mainly for anxiety disorders, for specific phobias. And then the clinical community got amazed by the opportunities that they might offer. Perhaps it came a bit later to help people with psychosis. But even in this field, it has been with us for almost 30 years now. I feel like I've just started hearing about in just the (laughs) recent years. So that's exciting now that, yeah, you've had some time to work on it. Yeah, of course, it started within small clinical trials or small research studies. But with the improvement of the technology and also getting cheaper and the software that is now available, it has come more closer to us and more reachable in terms of designing intervention for people with psychosis. How many clinicians would you say or uh, how hard is it for someone to access this uh, therapy? That's a very good question because... Despite the technology, as we just said, being more available to clinicians, there are not so many clinicians that are properly trained to use Mm -hmm. VR with patients. In the context of anxiety disorders, there might be more experience and more people that feel confident enough to use it. But I would say for people with psychosis, there are not that many clinicians that are trained or have had enough experience to use VR with them. I have the feeling this is changing with all the results that we have from research and from clinical trials, the evidence that is safe and it works and people are actually demanding it is increasing. And that means that more people want to be trained on using it properly with people with psychosis. But we also need a change on regulation of uh, digital therapeutics and our health system supporting the introduction of such a technology to mental health services and offering resources to clinicians to be trained in the use of this technology. So we often hear about video games or smartwatches, different things that help incentivize different treatments. Do you think that the virtual reality gamifies some of the more traditional therapeutic treatments? I think with VR is different because it's not based on rewards, so to say. It's based on experiences. It's based on the person really facing a situation that might be challenging or a stimuli that might be challenging and actually triggering some distress. Of course, you can add some gamification components, but really what we are trying to do is to offer the person a safe space to practice things that can help them. There is a very important concept in VR that is the sense of presence where the person is really immersed within the 3D environment. What it means really is the psychological feeling of being there doing things. And that's not necessarily playing a game, but interacting with the environment or interacting with a stimuli with the objective to improve how you cope in that specific situation. You touched on this a little bit earlier, that it's harder 
to implement because a lot of physicians don't have the training necessary yet. If a clinician wanted to implement this therapy, how did they go about receiving that training? There are some companies that have packages, which include the software and even the hardware and a period of training with psychotherapists to learn how to use it. But this is more in the context of anxiety disorders or, or specific phobias and has not yet reached the psychosis field. So in this period of bringing transformation, implementation, to bring the technology to the real practice and disseminate it widely. And unfortunately, there are still people that think that might not be safe to use with people with psychosis. Well, we know that's not true. We have the evidence, we have the research, we have the clinical experience that says that VR is accepted, is safe, and is helping people with psychosis. Now, Mara, we all know that social skills are crucial for all of us and that individuals with schizophrenia can often face a lot of challenges in this area. So how is VR therapy being used to enhance social skills? Oh, that really touches my heart because it was the first VR environment I worked with was to improve social skills. And that was part of my PhD. So I asked that question to myself, exactly. To improve our social skills, we need to interact with others. So what we did were a series of activities that we know target aspects of social skills, like, for example, understanding what is an assertive communication style or an aggressive communication style or a passive communication style and recreate it in VR with virtual agents, with avatars, and ask the person to identify that style. We also use faces so we could help them recognizing emotions in others so they could understand better why they behave one way or the other. And they could also adjust their own behavior to someone that is sad or is angry. We also use virtual agents to create conversation and help them with their conversational skills. There's a lot of work behind that, a lot of programming, but it really allows you to have all these others that you need in therapy to help the person to really interact and help them to build up this repertoire of skills that they can use when they're out and about. And we all know that the use of technology in healthcare is such a huge topic right now. And this would obviously include significant advancements in virtual reality. Can you just share with us the evolution of VR technology and the way that it's impacted the way you work with individuals with psychosis? Technology has improved hugely. I mean, starting from the hardware, I remember when I started using VR, we had those huge headsets, totally wired to a, a huge computer, <laughs> very heavy, not easy to transport and very expensive, very difficult to bring to the clinic. They were only in our university labs and we had to bring the service users there. Uh, nowadays, we have portable headsets, not wired to anything, and they are not that expensive. For $400, you can have a very good headset. And that allows us to go to the clinic 
to go to schools. We have a beautiful study with young people with psychotic-like experiences, and we present them with social environments there. And the adolescents queue <laughs> to have this experience and help us with our research. We don't have to worry about the hardware and the technology the same we can have digital engineers working for us and designing environments with such an amount of detail and care and that's wonderful that's another big difference that we didn't have 15 years ago it was very expensive to develop all this You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast about mental illness brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and our BC partner organizations. I'm Phaedra Aldrich. And I'm Melissa McKenna. And today we're speaking with Dr. Mar Roos Calafé about using virtual reality to treat people with psychosis. Using this type of technology is just fascinating. I'm so enjoying this conversation. So let's get back to learning more about Mar's work. So you've mentioned people lining up to take part. Do you think that the adoption rate or people who are willing to try out this therapy might be higher than other types of therapies? Do you think it is because it's a less threatening environment or? What I can tell you from my clinical experience and research experience is that it is an attractive factor to bring people to therapy and to get them more engaged and also adherence to the psychological treatment. And from my experience, it helps a lot. I think sometimes the worries come more from other members of the clinical team thinking that this is not going to be a good thing for the person, but actually the person being very interested on trying things out and benefiting from the technologies with us every day in our pockets. And VR is becoming something also, even in our household. So I think it does help. From my experience, I would say, yes, it makes a difference. Yeah, I'm sure because it's a controlled environment. You can cater whether something is overly stimulating for somebody or if it is a situation they maybe are more comfortable with. Absolutely. You can calibrate how much you ask or demand the person mm -hmm. to do and you can be sure that the environment is safe enough or challenging enough on the other side for the person to really learn and not just be uncomfortable or not mm -hmm. doing what mm -hmm. they want to do. So it, it, it offers a lot. It's a good point, Melissa and Mar. So how much control does an individual have when using this technology to control the visuals coming at them through this therapy? This is a key element of the therapy in the sense that it depends on the relationship between the person and the therapist. That's why I don't think that standing alone treatments are good for all the people with psychosis. I think the person that is really controlling the situation is the therapist, adjusting it to the person's needs. But the person can always say, okay, I want to stop now. And you can immediately take the person out of the environment, which would be a bit more complicated if you do an in vivo exposure. So getting out with the person and trying to do certain things with them. So it is really about building up a good therapeutic relationship, therapeutic alliance with the person and the person trusting the therapist that when they want to stop, this is going to stop. Now, one of the concerns in using VR for psychosis treatment that we've been hearing is the fear of making patients worse. So we would love to hear your thoughts on how this method is safe because it is evidence-based. 
Big question. Of course, we have the obligation and we have the responsibility to see whether there is any adverse effects of the technology when being used with service users. And we know that this is not the case. I think the the psychological treatment comes with the idea that you will be challenged. In order to improve, you will be put in situations that you are currently struggling with in order to get better when facing these situations. And this is applicable to when we treat mental health disorders. What VR is offering us is a controlled space to do that. So even though some people might struggle at the beginning, this is expected. This is expected as a psychotherapist, as a clinician, you expect that. So I think it's the evidence on one side that there's no adverse events related to the introduction of VR as part of psychological treatment, but also the good therapeutic skills that you have as a psychotherapist, that you will be managing the situation with the person and you will have a good calibration of the situation in order to help them and not to make them worse. Is there a place that someone would be able to get more information about this form of therapy? I'd like to say yes to that question, but unfortunately I can't. There are no many places yet where they are using this technology for psychosis. But of course, I would always recommend the person to ask their current clinical team or their current clinician, psychotherapist, psychiatrist, and say, I've heard that there are some studies or some clinicians in the world that are using VR to help people like me to get better. Do you know about that? Do you know any place around this area or closer where I could benefit from this type of treatment? And I believe clinicians have the responsibility, if the evidence is there, to look for information and and offer that to the people that are asking for it. But there is no uh, central place yet that lists all the people who are using VR as part of their psychotherapy practice. And speaking of the future, what are your hopes, Mar, in terms of the integration of VR therapy into mainstream healthcare? I hope we can really improve dissemination, access, and put down barriers that are really hindering recovery from people with psychosis. I think we still need, of course, the more classic psychotherapy or cognitive behavioral therapy in the form of one-to-one, face-to-face. But I really know and believe that VR can enhance outcomes, can enhance the work we do with people and can really help them translate what we do with them in the clinic into the real world because we're bringing the world into the clinic. So it's a little bit of this back translation approach to recovery. So that's my big hope. And isn't that what we're all striving for (laughs) is just finding as many different methods as possible to benefit those experiencing psychosis. That's really what we're all here for. Totally. Absolutely. It's another tool in the toolbox. You know, when I work with future clinical psychologists and sometimes they ask me, how did I get into this tech? And it really came from talking to people with psychosis and really 
seeing that they needed something else. I think they wanted to do something. I think they needed something. And I thought, well, we have to be a bit brave. And then I read the work of other people that also do VR and might have started with VR before I did. And I never saw it as a threat, as something that could make them unwell. I was there. I was with them. We knew why we were using VR and how we were using VR. And I just saw the changes and the motivation they also had to do it and how they enjoyed doing it and they just thought it was a super powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you really touched on it earlier when you were saying that in order for people to find improvement, they need to be pushed a little bit outside of their comfort zone. And it's a really great way that we can have that safe space too and mm-hmm. controlled environment to have some yeah. pushed a little. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but unfortunately, also the stigma, especially with people with psychosis, the stigma also coming from other mental health practitioners or professionals Mm -hmm. make them think that people with psychosis cannot face this challenge. And they can and they want. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are not given the opportunity to do it and they are not taking their hand and say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to do it with you and we will face it together. And you and I, we're going to be in charge, but you will see how you can do it because I believe you can do it. And this is also part of the issue. It was like long ago, not wanted to talk to people with psychosis about their voices or about their visions and about their beliefs. And now we know this is what we have to do. We have to ask Mm -hmm. and then we will understand. And then together we will work to make them better or at least to take control over the experience. And as you said, Mar, earlier, that this is used in tandem. This is just one mechanism, Mm -hmm. one tool in that toolbox Mm -hmm. that we now have access to. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's being used in tandem, and I love that, where you're taking somebody by the hand and assisting them. And it's the same thing that we say at BCSS all the time, is just the importance of family and the importance of knowing that we're in this together. Mm -hmm. So whether it be the therapist, the individual living with the illness, as well as the family members. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. What feedback are you hearing from people that have tried this? I will always remember there was a lady I worked with that's told me how great, how meaningful, how validating it was for her that I could hear and see what he could only hear herself and share that experience with me. And he also decided to share it with her family so they could understand what she was experiencing every day. And she didn't feel judged by anything that was happening by sharing that experience with me. I think what is particularly interesting is that the majority of the time is that the first person that contacts us is a family Mm -hmm. member. It's a a mother, a brother, a partner that says, oh, I've read about your work and I think this can really help my loved one. In my experience as a clinician, as a clinical psychologist, I have only good experience of people being very thankful to the work you've done and very thankful to believe in their loved ones and giving them the opportunity to do all this. And they feel very grateful for the opportunity. As someone who has a sibling who experiences psychosis, I'm very excited. And it's really 
refreshing and great to hear that there are so many different therapies and different things. Because I think people do often just think of medical advancements as being new medications. Yeah. So knowing that there are so many different people who are working on different ways to make the lives of people who are experiencing psychosis better is really awesome. Wonderful to hear, Melissa. Thank you. You are just so fascinating, Mar, and I am just so excited to see the direction of this technology and where we're going to be able to take it. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for your insight, and thank you so much for this conversation. We really appreciate it. thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And a huge thanks to you, our audience, for joining us for this episode. Together, we can better understand and change the narrative around mental illnesses like schizophrenia. To get our latest episode, be sure to hit follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we'll be back with more thought-provoking discussions in our next episode. Talk to you soon. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well-being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, the North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca. 